Welcome to my newest series, The Library, The Vampire Chronicles Edition. All books, do not worry. We'll get there. It'll take a while, as you know. But my newest edition by your host, me, the one and only Jack Rose Owen. Have a nice listen. Maybe grab a snack, maybe a bite or two, some blood. Who knows? Whatever you're into. (laughs) Here is the first book, Interview with the Vampire, by Anne Rice, read by Jack Rose Owen. And I believe AMC owns the ownership, so do not sue me. (laughs) Please and thank you. I'm sorry if I mispronounce things, because I know I will. Okay? I see said the vampire thoughtfully, and slowly he walked across the room towards the window. For a long time, he stood there against the dim light from the Divisadero Street and the passing beams of traffic. The boy could see the furnishings of the room more clearly now. The round oak table, the chairs, a wash basin hung on one wall. With a mirror, he set his briefcase on the table and waited. But how much tape do you have with you? Asked the vampire, turning now so the boy could see his profile. Enough for the story of a life. Sure, if it's a good life, sometimes I interview as many as three or four people a night, if I'm lucky. But it has to be a good story. That's only fair, isn't it? Admirably fair, the vampire answered. I would uh, like to uh, tell you the story of my life. Then I would like to do that very much. Great, said the boy. And quickly he removed the small tape recorder from his briefcase, making a check of the cassette and the batteries. I'm really anxious to hear why you believe this, why you... No, said the vampire abruptly. We can't begin that way. Is your equipment ready? Yes, said the boy. Then sit down. I'm going to turn on the overhead light. But I thought vampires didn't like light, said the boy. If you think the dark adds to the atmosphere. But then he stopped. The vampire was watching him with his uh, back to the window. The boy could make out nothing of his face. Now, and something about the still figure there distracted him. He started to say something again, but he said nothing, and then he sighed with relief when the vampire moved towards the table and reached for the overhead cord. At once, the room was flooded with a harsh yellow light, and the boy, staring up at the vampire, could not repress a uh, gasp. His fingers danced backwards on the table to grasp the edge. Dear God, he whispered, and then he gazed speechless at the vampire. The vampire was utterly white and smooth, as if he were sculpted from a bleach bone, and his face was as seemingly inanimate as a statue, except for two brilliant green eyes that looked down at the boy intently, like flames in a skull. But then the vampire smiled almost wistfully, and the smooth white substance of his face moved with the 
infinitely flexible but minimal lines of a cartoon. Do you see? he asked softly. The boy shuddered, lifting his head as if uh, to shield himself from the powerful light. His eyes moved slowly over the finely tailored black coat he'd only glimpsed in the bar. The long folds of the cape, the black silk tie knotted at the throat, and the gleam of the white collar that was as white as the vampire's flesh. He stared at the vampire's full black hair, the waves that would come back over the tips of his ears, the curls that barely touched the edge of his white collar. Now, do you still want the interview? The vampire asked. The boy's mouth was open before the sound came out. He was nodding, then he said yes. The vampire sat down slowly opposite him and leaned forward and gently, confidently. Don't be afraid, just start the tape. And then he reached out over the length of the table. The boy recoiled, sweat running down the sides of his face. The vampire clamped a hand on the boy's shoulder and said, Believe me, I won't hurt you. I want this opportunity. It's more important to me than you can realize now. I want you to begin. And he withdrew his hands and sat uh, collected, waiting. It took a moment for the boy to wipe his forehead and his lips with a handkerchief to uh, stammer that the microphone was in the machine, to press the button, to say that the machine was on. You weren't always a vampire, were you? He began. No, answered the vampire. I was a 25-year-old man when I became a vampire, and the year was 1791. The boy was startled by the preciseness of the date, and he repeated it before he asked, How did it come about? There's a simple answer to that. I don't believe I want to give simple answers, said the vampire. I think I want to tell the real story. Yes, the boy said quickly. He was folding his handkerchief over and over and wiping his lips. Now with it again, there was a tragedy. The vampire started. It was my younger brother. He died. And then he stopped, so that the boy cleared his throat and wiped at his face again before stuffing the handkerchief almost impatiently into his pocket. It's not painful, is it? He asked timidly. Does it seem so? asked the vampire. No. He shook his head. It's simply that I've only told this story to one other person, and that was so long ago. No, it's not painful. We were living in Louisiana then. We'd received a land grant and settled two indigo plantations on the Mississippi, very near New Orleans. Ah, that's the accent. The boy said softly for a moment. The vampire stared blankly. I have an accent? He began to laugh, and the boy, flustered, answered quickly. I noticed it in the bar when I asked you what you did for a living. It's just a slight sharpness to the consonants, that's all. I never guessed it was French. It's all right, the vampire assured him. I'm not as shocked as I pretend to be. 
It's only that I forget it from time to time. But let me go on. Please, said the boy. I was talking about the plantations. They had a great uh, deal to do with it. Really, my becoming a, a vampire. But I'll come to that. Our life uh, there was both luxurious and primitive. And we ourselves found it extremely attractive. You see... We lived far better than the way we could have ever lived in France. Perhaps the sheer wilderness of Louisiana only made it seem so. But seeming so, it was. I remembered the imported furniture that cluttered the house. The vampire smiled and the harpsichord that was lovely. My sister used to play it. On some more evenings, she uh, would sit at the keys with her back to the open French door windows, and I can still remember that thin, rapid music and the vision of the swamp rising beyond her, the moss-hung cypresses floating against the sky, and there were the sounds of the swamp, a chorus of creatures. The cry of the birds, I think we loved it. It made uh, the rosewood furniture all the more precious. The music more delicate and desirable. Even when the wisteria tore the shutters off the attic windows and worked its tendrils uh, right into the whitewashed brick in less than a year. Yes, we loved it. All except my brother. I don't think I ever heard him complain of anything, but I knew how he felt. My father was dead then, and I was head of the family, and I had to defend him constantly from my mother and sister. They wanted to take him visiting and to New Orleans for parties, but he hated these things. I think he stopped going altogether before he was twelve. Prayer was that mattered to him. Prayer and his leather-bound lives of the saints. Finally, I built him an oratory, removed it from the house, and he began to spend most of his every day there. And often, uh, the early evening, it was ironic, really. He was uh, so different from us, so different from everyone, and I was so regular. There was nothing extraordinary about me whatsoever. The vampire smiled. Sometimes in the evening I would go out to him and find him in the garden near the oratory, sitting absolutely composed on a stone bench there, and I'd tell him my troubles, the difficulties I had with the slaves, how I distrusted the overseer or the weather or my brokers, all the problems that made up the length of the breadth of my existence. And he was, uh, listen, making only a few comments, always sympathetic, so that uh, when I left him, I had to distinct uh, impression he had uh, solved something for me. I didn't think I could deny him anything, and I vowed that no matter how it would break my heart to lose him, he would enter the priesthood when the time came. Of course, I was wrong. The vampire stopped. For a moment, the boy only gazed at him, and then he stared as if awakened from deep thought. 
and then he started, as if awakened from deep thought, and he floundered, as if he could not find the right words. Ah, he didn't want to be a priest, the boy asked. The vampire studied him, as if trying to discern the meaning of his expression. Then he said, I meant that I was wrong about myself, about my not denying him anything. His eyes moved over the far wall and fixed on the panes of the windows. He began to see visions. Real visions? The boy asked. But again, there was hesitation as if he were thinking of something else. I didn't think so. The vampire answered. It happened when he was 15. He was very handsome then. He had the smoothest skin and the largest blue eyes. He was robust, not thin, as I am now, and was then. But his eyes, it was as if it, when I looked into his eyes, I was standing alone on the edge of the world. On a wind-swept ocean bench, there was nothing but a soft roar of the waves. Well, he said, his eyes still fixed on the window panes. He began to see visions. He only hinted at that at first, and he stopped taking his meals altogether. He lived in the oratory at any hour of day or night. I could find him on the bare flagstones, kneeling before the altar, and the oratory itself was neglected. He stopped tending the candles or changing the altar cloths, or even sweeping 